This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about by my co-host, John Syracusa. I'm Dan Benjamin. Today is Friday, August 3rd, 2012. This is not hypercritical. This is kind of critical. John Syracuse is out. He is on vacation, and he gave permission for me to do a show with a couple of our friends, Marco Arment and Merlin Mann, and that is what we are doing today. We'll be back for a regularly scheduled episode of Hypercritical next week when John is back. A quick thanks to our sponsors, Text Expander 4 from Smile. And MailChimp.com will tell you more about them as the program goes on. We also would like to mention that Bandwidth for August is sponsored by Audiobooks app. Listen to thousands of classic audiobooks free on your iPhone or iPad. Get it at AudiobooksApp.com or just search for audiobooks in the App Store. Mm. It's John's show. It is John's show. Thank you, for, thank you for having us on, Dan. Glad to have you here, finally. Long last. And let's, let's thank John for permitting us to do this again. So the last one was February 10th. I, I looked it up. And I, I figured, so now, it kind of feels to me like this is a show. You know, like now, we have <laughs> multiple episodes. So yeah. this is like a real show. And I, th- I think it's funny that this exists entirely in like the scraps of free, of free time that John Syracuse leaves behind. <laughs> yeah. He seems to take a lot of vacations. I mean, he's not, he's no groups, but I'm just saying, it seems like, it seems like for somebody with RSI, he takes a lot of time off. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. It, it's, it, it, you know, but he is a hardworking guy. I mean, after his uh, mountain lion thing, he needs a break. Uh, Did totally. you read that? I've, uh, I've read most of it. I, I, uh, you know what? I, I got the, uh, I got an EPUB of it, but I, I still haven't finished it. You know, I feel like I need to set aside a very, very large block of time. Because I, I, do, I do a gloss. I do this thing that, you know, like, when, remember when you first get a record? I don't know if you ever did this. But when you first get a record, you'd, like, go through it and listen to the first few seconds of every song to, like, go. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Pe- people hate that. John Roderick hates that. But Wait, I, even I, with I, a record? Where that's uh, actually with, kind of difficult to do? Yeah, 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 Marco. We used to have this thing called albums, <laughs> and you lift, it's called a needle. And, right. and you'd have to... <laughs> I, I don't know, you know what you're talking about. If, if, <laughs> so, so, so if you get really, like, really good at knowing exactly where to drop it on the track. But that's what yeah. I do. I gloss through. Yeah. Wow. That's you crazy. Fish. You just leave fish on for 14 hours. You don't even know when you're done listening to fish, right? Right. It doesn't even fit on a record. <laughs> it's like Inagata de Vida. It's like one entire song for each side of the record. Yeah, anyway, that's right. I knew that. So this is, do you think this is what people tune in for? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is what, oh, this yeah, is. I think this is what people listen for. Who's doing the soda stream? It has to be Merlin. <laughs> okay, here we go. Ready? That, that, was, that was Marco. Here's me. Oh, yeah. Dan, you got a, <laughs> I, I, you got a bottle I nearby? Do the I, don't, I don't keep it here. I don't keep it handy. It's downstairs. Hmm. <laughs> so I, did, I actually did take some notes for topics, although this show is kind of about nothing, so it was a little difficult. Um, but in the last show, we talked a lot about uh, various things in our technology enthusiast world, mostly Apple and Google related, uh, things that were just kind of not working well. Uh-huh. And it's worth, it's worth thinking about. So that was back in February, so about six months ago. 
Um, and since then, we've had Mountain Lion come out. And I think it's actually smoothed over. And I, I don't want the show to be about Mountain Lion. That's what everybody wants. But I think it did smooth over a lot of what we complained about and a lot of... Uh, a lot of things that were not quite mountain lion, like uh, we were complaining about iCloud and yeah. iTunes Match and stuff like that. Much of that has also slowly improved uh, since then as well. What do you? I mean, is, am I am I just forgetting how uh, how it was, or or does it seem like it's actually getting better? It does seem to me like it's getting better, but there's still there are still things that are not complete in I think the vision that that we all sort of have for where we want this stuff to go eventually. We talk about Pastebot last time. Love Pastebot. Did we talk about that? Is there just a link in there? I'm just going over. Oh yeah, so somebody pasted something on Pastebot because they're the ones that had the the clever hack of just playing silence as the as the audio track. (laughs) Probably me dragging something out. I like that. (laughs) And we Um, have the Soda Stream. We talked about that, of course. Talked about fast mail, and we talked about your article on the app economy on Planet Money NPR. Oh yeah, that was fun. Wow. That was in February. My gosh, the world has really changed. Well, a lot, you know, a lot's changed in in the Instapaper world. That's for sure. Yeah, that's mostly what Merlin and I talk about when we when we're offline. We just talk about you and Instapaper. Of course, isn't that what everyone talks about? (laughs) Yeah, because that that was even before. Not only was that before Pocket relaunched as Pocket, but that was before Readability launched in public. Wow, really? That it, it was a few weeks before. Before your world changed, yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh, a lot. I feel like a lot has gotten better about uh, my Apple world. Well, here's how I would put it: every everything that I understand is better, and and the myriad things I don't understand, I still don't understand. There's there's still many things where I struggle with understanding where things are, or I I still struggle with some inherent complexities nested inside all of the new simplicity. And I'm, I really struggle with that all the time. Personally. The complexities inside of the new simplicity. That's mm-hmm. good. What do, you, what do you mean? Give me an example of that. Uh, which devices are you allowed to receive iMessages on with which emails? Oh, that's a big one. Is that simple? Yeah. Anyway, I, I went through a whole bit on this, on, on the, uh, the DSparks uh, Mac Power Users thing, him and Katie. But um, no, I mean, the, 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 the funny part is, like, I... I I've, anyway, I mean, I, I think it's a kind of an interesting topic, and it's it's somewhat germane to the uh, hypercritical prime. Uh, but you know, I, actually, I would love to hear. It's so interesting to watch on the on the tutor to see developers talking about struggling with elements of iCloud. That seems like that's becoming more of a thing people are talking about. And I, I personally, I'd be interested in that. Me, from a, a consumer uh, pointing facing uh, point of view, and and you guys from understanding more about it, especially Marco and his uh, journey with that stuff. But I mean, there's so much stuff that I feel is getting better, but there's still so much stuff that feels like it's getting more and more opaque as they try to make it more simple, which I'd be happy to explain. But I think that's one good example. Well, I think you're right, because that's like a lot of these things like Sync, like iCloud and a lot of things that powers uh, are really just incredibly complex, difficult things that can't be completely papered over with uh, with like a nice solution. Like there's always going to be, you know, like in Joel Spolsky terms, it's a, it's a leaky abstraction. There's always going to be some kind of complexity or some kind of weird condition that can happen that you have to 
show some kind of problem to the user or result in some kind of problem for the user. There's no good solution for it. And, I, and anything involving sync or network operations, mm-hmm. and especially now network operations involving sync uh, with these complex data sets, multiple devices, it, it, different connectivity times, uh, it's a very, very complex problem set. And, and then on top of that, and by the way, I should disclaim, I actually haven't written any iCloud code yet. So I don't know much about iCloud except for what you guys know, you know, what, uh, what people report. Um, I have certainly seen that. It seems like the... so And actually, John Syracuse went into a lot of this in his article about three different storage types in iCloud. Uh, there's key value storage, document storage, and then core data syncing. And the key value storage is very simple. Like, it's like cookies, you know, but you can't put that much there. The document syncing seems to work well, uh, as far as I know. But it's the core data storage where you just have some database and you try to have iCloud attempt to sync it. And you know, not only does it apparently not work very well, but that's a very hard problem to begin with. And there's no way to do that without some kind of complexity uh, causing problems for somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think also, you, know, you can look at, if you look at these complexities, uh, one of the problems that we have with a lot of the other stuff that you've, that you've labeled as, as this, this category of kind of difficult to understand simplistic new problems, uh, which is like iTunes match and, and where iTunes media is. Um, that is also complex because you have these, these difficult conditions of both different devices with different amounts of storage, not enough bandwidth usually to have everything server-side forever, and the weird complexities of the record labels and the requirements that they have for Apple and, and, and the other media companies as well, the requirements of what Apple can and can't do with that media and what they can and can't permit us to do. And so you have this very, very complex situation that Apple is trying to apply what looks to users like a very simple solution to, but it really isn't that simple at all. So um, you started on primarily on Windows back in the day, right, Marco? Yeah. Or was it okay? And, and Dan, you Hot started dog on. Stand. Like, <laughs> that was funny. I don't even know what that is, and that was funny. Um, <laughs> you, don't, you don't. Did you not use Windows like Windows three one or Windows for workgroups three eleven? That's a no. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. I, I, I was I, Windows I, for work groups. Three yeah. one, even though work, I, was, right. I only had one computer and no network. I didn't <laughs> even have a modem back then. Wow. <laughs> Just the style at the time. And Dan, you started on, on Apple computer computer all day. Right? Yeah, my very first uh, experience with the computer was definitely uh, back in the Apple II days. But I did have a lot of PC, unfortunately, a lot of PC stuff in my work. And I used to build them and sell them in a business right. building, well, building here's, and selling Here's that. Uh, so we have three... I think kind of interesting, it would be the Venn diagram of this might be interesting. So I started on a fat Mac in 1987. <laughs> and if you know what I mean. And, uh, <laughs> so, I so, like so the fat nano? That's with the exception. <laughs> that's the Mac 512K. See, this is going to be like Mac Break Weekly again. I, if I'm the most focused one, I'm going to kill myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm fighting Shuck and Jack. I also have a list here of all the disclosures that we should go through. Okay. I don't know if you want to do that now. We should probably circle back to that. But we have many disclosures that we should disclose in disclosing our disclosures. One of which that I should bring up right away, if Marco won't mind me saying, and you can cut this out if it's a problem. Uh, we, we talked for, I believe, two hours about pretty much this issue uh, a few sure. weeks ago. I don't know if you remember that. I'm Merlin. Hi. We talked a lot mentioned. about, I mean, I, I feel like I've had so many frustrations, uh, and we did talk about the lot, that a lot. But here's, so from my viewpoint, with, an, with the exception of about a year around 2000 when I kind of had 
No, I didn't kind of. I had to use Cold Fusion to make the things that I wanted to make for my employer. I mean, basically, long story short, like I was mostly just a front end guy, if you pardon my saying. And but but there was a point when I was like, hey, I have this idea for a couple things that we can do. And they're like, fine, we'll get you this ancient, ancient, ancient Windows box and with Cold Fusion on it, and you can learn that and then, you know, have this whole separate area we give you for this thing. And it actually turned out surprisingly well. It was successful, uh, even though I had very little idea what I was doing. In the service of saying from 1987 till now, I, I've really, really, really um, haven't used anything else, but, but Apple and primarily Mac products. I used to really roll my eyes because I, I was very pleased with the fact that I didn't need to know anything about how, how computers work to use it. You guys we're a little closer to the metal for obvious reasons. You're probably in there with your registries and whatnot. But for me, the whole experience of computing, apart from two weeks in a basic class that I dropped out of <laughs> in 1985, was, uh, or 84, has been the fact that there, I don't know if you call that what kind of it's a leaky or I don't know if it's a sound abstraction, but the world, the Mac world for a long time, you know, they deliberately went so far out of their way to never show the, the incredibly complex man behind the curtain which is very frustrating to people who use almost any other platform. And for reasons I understand. I, I, it's just that for me, I, it's just going to sound so, so strange, but for the first time, I think, in a really long time, I kind of, I'm starting to feel a little bit like those guys I used to roll my eyes about, which is, hmm, you know, well, back in the day, I was fine to have a one-button mouse and click on menus because that's how it was designed. I learned to do more. I became what I would probably overgenerously call a power user. And now today, though, there's so many things that I don't want to say they're being taken away from me, but to get the most out of what I'm doing with these Apple devices, I have to capitulate on a whole bunch of things regarding my workflow, if you like, and how I get stuff onto those devices to use. And where I used to have my hands around the, the complexity, I mean, I got good at dealing with stuff like Dropbox. I got good at dealing with things like MKVs. I got, I, got, I got good with a whole bunch of different things and got my world set up a certain way, much in the way that a Windows user would in the early 2000s. Um, and so anyway, I just, I just thought I'd toss that out, is that for the first time in, in my Apple, um, in my time using Apples, which is really stacking up to be 25 years now, I, I really am starting to really feel the pain a little bit of stuff where I'm going, you know, I'm glad these devices are getting easier to use, but, and I'm happy to provide numerous examples of this. I don't, I feel it's getting very hard to get my hands around some fairly important issues for, for anybody who's not, for example, just an iOS user. But anybody who's just an iOS, iOS user is still going to run up against all these weird barriers where you're eventually going to go, oh my God, I can only really do this on a Mac. And when I do really do this on a Mac, there's still a huge amount of opacity to how I deal with these things. So I, I just thought I'd toss that out because it seems like you guys are come from a background where you had to give away a lot of control over your computing environment in order to become a Mac guy. Thank God you eventually, you know, you could use Bash or whatever. But yeah, really. This is, a, you know, and I, I think it's a very interesting topic because Apple has done such a great job of reaching out to people who don't consider themselves, you know, computer people, or they don't consider, they don't, you know, you know, there's, I think there's a reason Macworld is not filled to the rafters with people anymore. People don't self-identify as Apple and Mac people anymore. They self-identify as somebody who uses an iPhone to post things on Facebook, not, and not disparagingly, but that's a very different kind of person from somebody who would go to Macworld in, say, <laughs> whatever, 1996. That's a real different animal. So I'd be curious what you guys think about that. If, if that changes for you, 
obviously, Marco, you're constantly having to watch the landscape and look a little bit down the road for what you've got to prepare for. I don't know. Do you guys feel any of that pain? Oh, yeah. I mean, and part of it is that, you know, since we all started using computers 20 years ago or whatever, um, you guys are older. 40 years ago or whatever. Um, <laughs> well, that's Mer- Merlin. You know, now things have gotten a lot more complex. Com- you know, not only, not only have computers grown in, in, in all their hardware and everything, but just the problem set of what they have to do has expanded dramatically. You know, back then a computer was basically office tasks and games and, you know, kids would use it for their homework to write papers and stuff. Uh, now computers are these kind of everything devices. You have communication, you have data, you have media, all this, all this stuff going on. Um, and it's constantly expanding and, and they can do such a ridiculous amount of things now. It almost um, seems like there's less you can get done without a computer today than right. you know, when Merlin was young. And now there's all these complexities introduced by other technological advances, like since, our, since we have mobile phones, for one, that's <laughs> A, and then B, since our phones are now computers, then... Almost everybody has multiple devices, so that's and and now we have this this influx of tablets where most people I, I know there's a lot of people who can use them as a laptop or whatever. Most people who who buy an iPad, I assume it's probably safe to say they also have computers and a a a computer of some kind. Yeah, a computer probably. And so then now this is an average person who might have three devices. You know, so and, there's, and there's no way to account for Apple's. There's no way to account for Apple's astounding growth in the last few years, the last four to five years. There's no way to account for that growth without assuming that a lot of people, forgive my simple-mindedness here, but without accounting for the fact that there are a lot of people who probably never owned anything more than maybe an iPod who are now getting some kind of an Apple device. And if that's accurate, which I think it is, I think it's also accurate to assume that a lot of those people, their first device is going to be an iOS device. And right. I don't think at this point we can assume that everybody who buys an iOS device is also going to buy a Mac. Which right. gets even me to where I am now, which is that I think a lot of people who buy an iPad, you know, I, there's a use case I, I'd, I'd like to, not right this second, but I'd like to risk repeating from other places I've talked about this. But to me, the use case today is you go out and buy an iPad. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a, 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 a netbook or if you've got a, you know, a totally tricked out giant SDL going on. The point is they want you to start and understand that every, almost everything you need to do for the stuff that you like to do you're going to be able to accomplish just fine on an iPad. I mean, is, that, is it fair to say, that's a long string of dependencies, but isn't it fair to say that that's kind of how we got to where we are? That when, when, To account for the growth, we have to assume that a lot of people who've heard about Apple in the past are getting their first device from Apple for the first time, and the first thing they're buying is probably an iPhone or an iPad. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, very. The, the numbers the sales stack up to that. They're not moving... They're not moving I mean, they're selling, God bless them, they're selling lots of MacBook Airs and stuff, but I, it does, if you look at the, those comparisons, there's nerds like us, I can't even, I, I would I'd be embarrassed to tell you how many pieces of Apple hardware I am. I will not do that. But I think we're, we are unusual in the scheme of where their growth is going. Yes? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, without last a month, doubt, I sold a two laptops and, um, and an iMac. <laughs> but you know, I mean, the, the barrier of entry that we used to have and I don't honestly. This isn't this. I'm not poking fun at you, Mark. You may, uh, but I mean this seriously. You you may be not quite be old enough to remember this, but I know Merlin and I had this experience. That just the ba- the barrier of entry to having a computing device of any kind. Most people did not have computers in their homes. Most people did not have anything even like close to a computer in their homes, and the idea that 
you could go. And I remember when the TI was at the TI 99, was that the name of the thing? Merlin, little Texas instruments, little chiclet keyboard thing. That, that was the first, that was the first, uh, computer I ever touched. Yeah, the me too. Me too. I think that was, I, I, I or the we idea made, we that, made, we made player character sheets on it. Yeah. The idea that you could You're have welcome. this thing in your, in your house and connected to your TV was, it, it was unbelievable. And, and, and your, and your cassette recorder. Yes. And that you could do something with a computer in your house that you didn't, because like my first exposure to, this is really going to date me. My first exposure to a computer was when my dad took me to the, uh, the computing center at Temple University in Philly, and they had punch cards. And I was allowed to feed punch cards into their computer system, which I, in my very young memory of, you know, single digit age, I just remember be looking like just a wall of lights and, and things that I was feeding these punch cards into this thing on a wall and that a, a daisy wheel printer <laughs> printed out a, a drawing of Snoopy with ASCII characters. That to me was my first exposure to computer, and I was like, I was hooked, and I was probably that five years so old. So silly today, you cannot tell people how magical that was. It was uh, like I couldn't believe it. It was beyond. It was like amazing, and you know, coming from from that through then into the you know, in, my dad had a computer in his at his office at work. I was like, my dad is like the coolest guy in the world. He's got a computer, and then the TI ninety nine, and then being able to get a computer in your house. And have this be something that, like, your friends had it. They had games. I mean, yeah, we, we all had Ataris. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something with, a, with a, a keyboard that you could maybe even, like, write code with and make it put, you know, your friend's name. Like, your friend would come over and, like, like look, watch this. And, like, you'd have a go-to statement and it'd print their name on the screen. And this, the, the, but the barrier of entry, the cost all of this was, and now it's like, oh, of course we have a computer. Yeah, we got a couple. We got an old one in the closet. We got one here. I got an iPad now. It's so different. Mark, I don't know everybody. Where everybody needed a rabbi, whether you were on a PC or a Mac. <laughs> you had to have somebody. And in my standing, when I was more of an Apple evangelist because Apple needed evangelists, my standing deal with anybody amongst my friends or family was: if you go out, you buy an iMac or you buy a <laughs> whatever, an FX or a you know VX or you, but go buy a whatever. Like I will help you set it up, and I will show you how to do basic stuff. I will tell you which applications to buy, and then I will be your as needed tech support. Now go ask how many of your friends will do that for your PC. Ha ha ha. But it was <laughs> right, true. Exactly. And, and then, then, of course, and I would do that. I was happy to do that. But the thing was, even on this, it just works um, computer, there was always a lot of stuff to deal with. And I mean, especially things like not even knowing what was wrong with your computer. And I would have to come in with Peter Norton with his arms folded and save your life. <laughs> right? Nobody backed up back then. You back, I backed up my thesis on the floppies. Yeah. I still have. But I mean, that, that was backing up. I think, you know, you could run something like, well, like retrospect or whatever. But by and large, people weren't, it, it's a, it was a completely different world. You had to have a rabbi and it still felt opaque. My, my mom, real estate, of course, is a very conservative, uh, very conservative uh, occupation. But my mom, uh, at the place she sold real estate, they got a PC in I think about 1983, 1984, and nobody used it. They still use plot books. They still use crisscross. They still use these giant ass books to go look up what something cost, where it was located. You know what I'm saying? It seemed like the weirdest thing in the world to what I would refer to their workflow to go, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to go learn how to use this, this IBM in order to do my job. 
hey, real estate's a contact sport. <laughs> you know, and, you know what I'm saying? Though? And I don't know if you guys felt that way because you were nerds, but you could really see it in the people around you who struggle with it. I still see it today when I go visit my family and they don't understand what, like, what Kazam had done to their computer. And they don't understand what clicking those .exes means. And, you know, it's, it's still... <laughs> You should see me. You should see me struggling with trying to get my photos off of this device to make sure that they're on that device. Oh, but here's the thing: you go into iPhoto, you view the contents, <laughs> you pull out the masters, drag it to there. Seriously, this is like how you import from another library. I still That's, email the photos to myself from my phone. <laughs> I still because it's still the most reliable way. Yeah, I had a, I had a developer release of iPhoto, and I ignored the admonition that these, this would be an unusable uh, iPhoto library after uh, the beta expired. And so I had to, I went and I looked, and understandably, yeah, this is an edge case, but I'm just saying this is not the edgiest edge case in the world. There are a lot of times where you accidentally synced, you talked about this with Tiff, right? Or I know it's true with my wife. She accidentally, I accidentally caused her to have her, compu- her, her photos on her iPhone synced with the wrong computer. And to all appearances, Every time I clicked that thing to say no associate with this computer, it gave me the feeling that everything was going to be deleted. So I'm, I don't mean to carry on. But um, I, I just think there's still so much opacity to that. Yes, it's come a long way. But as people can and want to do more with all of these devices, introducing that simplicity has a price. And those chickens are kind of coming home to roost right now. I think. I cut you off, Marco. I'm yeah, sorry. No, I think, that's, I think that's exactly right. Because... You know, as I said, like this is a very complex computing world now. Like, there, when you have people who have probably more than one device now, um, not you know, obviously not everybody has a smartphone and a computer, but certainly a lot more people than before did. And I think it's probably safe to say that if you have a cell phone, which itself is probably the majority case in the U.S. and in most first world countries these days, uh, if you have a cell phone and if you also have a computer. Uh, which is also itself probably the majority case in most first world countries, um, it's probably safe to say that there's a good chance that one of those might be an Apple device or that, or that both of those might uh, have some kind of need to sync something to each other at some point. It's like, and and the, the, the portion of people who this is true for is only increasing over time. And, even, and this isn't just Apple. Even if it's Android, you still have, you know, Google has their own sync stuff. We just don't use it because we have good taste. But they have their own whole platform as well that, that probably has these same problems. Please email Dan. And, <laughs> you know, it, anytime you have this, like, there is no, I mean, I, I don't want to drill this into the ground, but there just is no way to make that perfectly awesome and stable and, like, just work. You know, to use that phrase, it just works. And, and you know, there's a lot of problems like this with computers. This, this, that the existence of these problems isn't new. I think just the number of them is going up. Um, but even, you know, even back when you would tell your friends and like, you know, in the eighties and nineties, well, not the eighties cause I was too young, but when I tell my friends like in, in the nineties, what computers to buy. Uh, and then once I switched to Macs in the early two thousands, I would tell everyone just buy a Mac. Um, and they would ask, uh, Oh, well, you know, does it solve problem X, Y, and Z? And like, it might solve one of those problems for them, but still there's issues of, Understanding the file system, as you said, doing backups. There's like there's all these issues that pretty much any computer platform has, kind of by necessity. And usually, you can't get rid of all those problems. And so, when I would tell somebody like my grandparents, "Oh, you should," you know, 
my grandpa asked me a couple years ago, you know, do I, I want a computer? What should I get? And he was starting from zero, like from zero knowledge. And, and so I'm like, well, I don't, I, I don't know. I guess uh, what I told him was get whatever you can find somebody locally to help you with. Cause they live in Arizona, so I can't be there all the time. So I said, just, you know, if you have a friend who's good with computers, get whatever they will help you understand. And so it was a PC because the nearest computer person was a PC person. And that worked out just fine for him because all the advantages that the Mac has to people like us, uh, it turns out when you're 87 and mostly just use your computer to pirate music from the 40s, uh, <laughs> like when that's your primary use of your computer, it doesn't really matter whether it's a PC or a Mac. And you're not going to run into any of the issues that we care about as nerds that make us choose Mac so often. Uh, and, and, you know, for him, I couldn't just say, oh, get a Mac, because I knew that all the complexities, all, you know, everything about, uh, <laughs> and Williams is right, they do, in fact, live in Sun City. I guess he has old people in Arizona, too. Um, all of the complexities <laughs> of capturing that, one. of computing. That applies no matter what device it is and no matter how well the device is made. You know, no matter how nice Apple has made all this iCloud stuff, you still have to worry about where your files are. Now they're just hidden in these applications. But, and you still, like, you can still accidentally delete an app and lose all the data in that app without realizing that deleting the app would delete all the data. If you can figure that out. And, and here, here's the thing that Dan, God willing, will be the one that gets so much mail about. Oh, so, uh, to the uh, uh, Mr. Armenti, uh, perhaps you're not aware of something called time machine. Uh, everything is retrievable from the cloud. Okay, listen, can I just point out you're listening to John Syracuse's podcast? Of course, you know these things. Not everybody knows these things. Listen, people who are buying these devices don't know these things. And Apple kind of doesn't want them to need to know these things. So take a giant, giant step back. Not you guys, but take the folks who are going like rolling their eyes and going, oh, I could, I could write something in Python that would do that in a minute. Yes, you can. And that's what makes you super special. But the people who are buying these devices have no idea about any of this stuff. And, and Marco, per our conversation, I'm going to give you one really super fast use case building on my, my, my little Socratic uh, thing from earlier. But right, don't, don't we agree like you... you Apple wants you to go out and buy an iPad or an, iP- or a, uh, an iPhone, right? So even oh, yeah. if you've got all these other devices, if you're, if you're the notional... My, 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 my use case I always think of is imagine somebody who's a retiree, who's, um, or you know, whatever, somebody who's not 20, who decides that they want to have, start having some fun. They see everybody liking these, the commercial is fun, they go out and buy it, they, they, get, they get a totally tricked out, nice one, or more likely probably they buy a not tricked out, not nice one, they buy the cheapest one they can get. And so what's the first thing you do? Well, Apple, what does Apple want you to do with that? They want you to come in and get a, lo- get a login. Let's set aside for a moment the fact that you're going to pick the crappiest password in the world and pick it forever because you filled it in for the first time on an iPhone. Let's set that aside for now. What, what does Apple want you to do once you're in? Let me tell you. Let me suggest. They want you to go in and buy applications. Awesome. So you go in and buy applications. Maybe If you're a younger person, maybe you go in and buy Real Racing HD. If you're an older person, you buy this bird identifying app that I have. <laughs> Shut up. I really like it a lot. So you go in, you buy a bunch, buy a bunch of apps. Uh, maybe you, uh, so what do you do next? What does Apple want you to do next? Well, they, obviously, they want you to go to the iTunes store and buy, uh, buy all of your favorite Glenn Miller albums that you used to steal. Great. 
you go in and you buy a bunch of Glenn Miller albums and now they're on this magical device in your pocket. Oh my God, that's so cool. Well, now what do they want you to do? Well, they really want you to go stay on the iTunes store and go buy some 720p movies. Awesome. I buy some 720p movies. Then suddenly one morning I get this little pop-up that says you're out of, you're out of space. Because remember now, all I have is an iPhone. I'm 50 and all I have is an iPhone and I don't know what any of that stuff means. What do you do? Now, I know you, Van Hoot knows, to go to usage, usage where you can basically turn off your music or keep your music. What do you do when your iPhone is full and you don't have a computer? I don't even know half the time what to do when my iPhone is full and I have like 10 computers. Yeah, when you have a computer. do I. I am so (laughs) full. I assume Comic Zeal and Comixology are taking up a massive amount of space on my iPad. I get the pop-up. And then me, the computer whiz, plugs it into iTunes because I have a computer and I still can't tell which one of those things. Is it Goodreader? Because I go in and I click in that little area in iTunes. Goodreader looks fine. Goodreader's got like maybe, you know, uh, 200 megs or something. Um, I go in and I click on Comixology. Wait, you and, can see app space usage in iTunes? Like uh, not, not just the app binaries itself, but some, like their documents? You can see that? Files. You can go to GarageBand, you scroll down on the apps page, and we're, <laughs> there, Marco, did you know you're supposed to upload lots of stuff through iTunes to get it on your phone? <laughs> yeah, that's that horrible document input exactly. thing. Well, that's, that's where I go. And I go right. in does and anybody I, know about that except us? Now, I know how to do that. Can I just stipulate again? Remember, Grandpa <laughs> Joe does not have a computer. This is right. the thing. All you, all you Van Hoots don't understand. These are people buying these devices. I don't mean to ramble on about this, but this is crazy making. When I suddenly see this bar explode across the, uh, horizontally across my iTunes for that device, and I go, what is that green thing? What, what is that giant green bar? And it goes, applications. I go, okay, will help. So anyway, all I'm trying to say is if you do what Apple wants you to do and you go buy the nicest uh, smartphone you can get and you buy the things they want you to buy, I give you a month and a half before you have no idea what to do to get stuff off of there. So you put it in the iCloud. Okay, does Uncle Joe know that? Does does Uncle Joe know that if he wants to clean it up, he's going to have to go in and manually delete? Does he know that if he wants Real Racing HD, go, go sort by size in iTunes and go look at the size of your app. It's yeah, not, does he realize that Real Racing HD is like a gig and a half? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it, again, let's just let's just be super clear. He doesn't have a Mac to do this on, and if he or she did have a Mac to do it on, you, it's still not super clear how you handle that stuff. And I mean, how anybody out there when you first got on iTunes, were you real comfortable just deleting a whole bunch of music and assuming it was in the cloud? No, I went in and made six smart playlists to make sure I always know exactly what's in the cloud. Anyway, I, I, that, this to me is perfectly emblematic. Setting aside iCloud documents and text edit, setting aside all of these other things, to me, this is highly emblematic of where these two differing things clash. The awesomeness of this device and everything it can do. How easy it is to do. And clashing with the difficulty of getting your hands around where your stuff is, what you do about it, and what happens if you go leave your phone somewhere and all you own is an iPhone... You're back to like my mom and her trio, where like my mom had never backed up her trio. She's a heavy communicator, like with different people on her phones and stuff. And all her contacts were gone. Because that, that was her computer. Her computer was her trio. And when she, when she lost it, it was all over with. That was it. So I'm sorry. I, that was super long. But I, it's incredibly frustrating to me that when you try to address this with people, especially people who like computers and most especially people who like Macs, they roll their eyes and, don't, and, and are completely insensitive to the fact that the people who are buying the devices, there's a reason there's a line for the geniuses at the store. It's not just because the iMac has a broken port. 
It's because a lot of people are walking in there with their phone and going, I don't understand what to do next with this. So you say, what do you say? You say, buy a Mac? What do you do? Anyway, do you face this with your new users? I mean, you've got to be moving further down the adoption curve, uh, Marco, I'm guessing. Do you think you're kind of always part of your strategy, right? Is to move further down that curve, right? Certainly, yeah. But it's kind of always been a problem because ever since the beginning of Instapaper, ever since 1.0, people who didn't understand or couldn't figure out how to install a bookmarklet um, or you know how to get articles into this thing at all uh, were buying it and installing it and then sending me emails saying, "What do I do with this thing that I just spent ten dollars on?" Um, It's always been a problem from from the very beginning. And so I've tried to do what I can to you know alleviate a lot of that, but a lot of the complexity I just can't address, or I can't, or I've already made it as easy as I can make it. Like the installing the bookmark, there's nothing better I can do about that. Um, that's just a horrible procedure. And I've, so my my strategy with that has been add as many ways as possible to add articles without using the bookmarklet, so that if you can, if you never figure out how to install it, you can still use this app in some useful way. Um, so that's why that's where the email gateway came in, all the app integrations, um, the clipboard detection, the custom URL scheme. Although that's crazy nerdy, um, you know, all these other features. Even even adding things into the app, like give me some, something to read, which is now called the feature. Adding the the friends features, all the browsing. The whole reason I put that in is again this goal of making this app useful to people who never install the bookmark or never add their own articles, because there are just so many people out there. Who that's going to be true for. And again, for all the people who think that this is trivial, here's a suggestion. Again, for the ninth time, don't assume they have a computer. Go call up somebody in your family and tell them how to install a bookmarklet on their iPhone. <laughs> Remember, they don't oh, have a computer. Man. No, I know you're, you're sitting there and you're going, of course they have a Well, no, they don't. They have, an I, they have an iPhone and maybe they buy an iPad. I'm not persuaded that that many people who buy an iOS device immediately go out and buy a Mac. I don't think the numbers support that. Now, yes, you can certainly do this on your Windows box. But is that what Apple wants you to do? They want you to have this one device. But seriously, Marco, I think it's one of my favorite creative exercises is to go and see how every app shows you how to install a bookmarklet. Um, and and the, uh, the effusive apologies. I think you, you have a pretty great <laughs> apology. The effusive apologies. Because you, on, on be Apple's behalf, have to go and explain why this is such a bananas process. It really well, is, is bananas. And it really right. is a challenge to actually do this the process on an iPhone, to do, yes, especially on it's, an iphone and yet the, and look at all the people that do it look at how you know i mean we, oh, yeah. we all we all know you know marco's app is is almost ubiquitous for the the geeks that live in our circle they've all done this do regular I did, people I did, do it on it? Safari. I, I did it on safari on my mac i, I think regular people do it too I, that's how i know how to do it well yeah, you know what you go I, t- in, and I so, first told people that and no, and no one did it i because uh, yeah you can Sync it over at the time, um, mobile me or was it even dot Mac when I first started? You could you could sync the bookmarks from desktop Safari to mobile Safari. So I would tell people just install it on mobile Safari with this little drag, and then sync your bookmarks. And nobody did that. Like usually the problem was I use Windows, I can't do that. Okay, fine. But even even people who had Macs and who had dot Mac or mobile me still wouldn't do that. They 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 oh I just don't sync my bookmarks, so that's not that's not an option for me. It's, it's a, very complicated. I had, I had a bookmarklet for an app. Oh, I forget what it was. It was, it was the most... I, I posted about this on Tumblr a long time ago, but there was, there was um, a bookmark with something like 64,000 characters in it. it. It had like basically a little miniature 
like almost like a little <laughs> application inside of it. And so well, what do you do? You go, you? and even with a modestly sized bookmarklet, you, so let's say you're able on, on the day that you do, you're able to understand how to copy and paste. No problem. You copy it. You go. And so what do you have to do? You have to create a blank bookmarklet. How's this go, Marco? You have to create a blank bookmarklet or bookmark you, something You have else. to first, first bookmark, bookmark the page else. you're on. Because you can't, like, it, it'll send you the explanation page. You have to first bookmark that page because you can't create a new bookmark. That, like, there's, there's no, like, new bookmark menu where it just shows you an empty text field and you just type just in folders, the URL. Just folders. Yeah, yeah, so you have to, like, first find, you know, you have to first create a bookmark for a page that you don't care about. That's just the instructions page. And then even when that, like, you know, new bookmark thing comes up, the URL field is grayed out. So you can't. can't. <laughs> so you first have to have people create a bookmark, save it, then go back and edit it to get that field to be editable. And so what then do you have do? Them you paste take what's in, in your URL. Paste, you paste it in. Where's the cursor after you pasted it in? Well, that I mean that doesn't matter. The, the well, it's at the very here. Let me tell you, it's at the oh, very yeah. end of whatever you pasted. What's the right, part you have to cool. flip off to make it into a bookmark? Is it not the part at the very beginning? Uh, you drop, yeah. well, that's, drop in yeah. 500 characters of a bookmarklet. <laughs> the cursor is focal at the end. Okay, uh, how, how, does, how does Uncle Joe get to the beginning to clip off the... Right? You, isn't that the deal? You have to clip oh, off the Before beginning copy and paste. JavaScript? You ever try and do that on a phone? <laughs> well, now, well, I, now I, I think I've got my glasses little... on and my false teeth in, I can sometimes <laughs> off. That ain't super easy. I mean, now, now it's easier because I believe you're, you're given one of, one of those little round X buttons in the text field to clear it. So I think I just tell people to hit that, clear it, and just paste. But before copy and paste, like in iOS uh, 2, um, I, you know, Inspip was around back then too <laughs> and had the same procedure back then. And, uh, and you would have to tell people to position the cursor right here and it would be like after the question mark underscore underscore and you'd have like, you know, in, in a JavaScript comment, place cursor here and <laughs> place the cursor here and backspace everything before that. Like it was horrible. At least copy and paste fix that. But now I, I even added another step. So, um, you know, I, I have to give you the bookmarklet code, this JavaScript thing that you copy and then paste it into this stupid edit field. Um, so at least now what, what I started doing like a year ago or more uh, is the app just copies it for you because you can programmatically copy another clipboard from apps. But I still occasionally will get emails because then, then that at least saves a step of, Go to this text box, select all, which itself is tricky, <laughs> select all, <laughs> copy, then go up here and paste. I can skip all that now. I can skip all the copying. But now I get, and, and even when you launch the bookmarklet installer procedure, it's a link in the app. It says install bookmarklet in Safari. And the button on the dialog says copy and go. So I'm really, I'm, I'm saying this will be copied to your pasteboard and then you're going to go somewhere and paste it in a minute. And the button says copy and go. You hit that, it goes over. I still get emails from people saying, where, did I, where was the step that I was supposed to copy the text? And like, they don't even try pasting because they're, they're kind of nerdy enough to know what copy and pasting are. And they're like, wait a minute, this has asked me to paste, but I never copied anything. <laughs> and again, right? It's an edge case. <laughs> Who, who's worried about not. that? But it's not. That's the thing. <laughs> it's probably when, not. When you, <laughs> like when you have these computing audiences of hundreds of millions of people, uh, nothing is an edge case really. Title. That is a good Pretty one. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. All right, hey guys, we got to do our first sponsor. Believe oh, yeah. it, we're forty minutes. Should we turn, off, should we turn off our? In. Should we turn off our mic in deference to uh, John? Yeah, unplug, unplug, and did you unplug? 
<laughs> Our first sponsor is the brand new Text Expander 4 from Smile. These guys are great, and uh, I want to tell you about this. I don't know what I would do. Merlin and I have talked about this a lot on, uh, on the show that he and I do back to work. But I'll tell you a little bit more about it here. Because it really is awesome, especially some of the new stuff they had fill-in snippet support. Let me tell you about that in a second. What is this? What is Text Expander for? It, it, it is a utility that you would install that saves you time when it comes to repetitive tasks. That's what it does. It saves you time. And if you have a signature that you type over and over, if you have an email body that you want to uh, create and then customize, that's where this really cool fill-in snippet support comes in. You can basically build yourself a little form. You type in a, a couple characters, it recognizes the characters, and then it prompts you for the information. So let's say, you, you're, let's say you're Marco and you know that you have to do some support and people are emailing you saying, oh, I'm having trouble with this. And you know that this new feature that you made is coming out and it's about to be released and you want to give them a hint. You want to say, hey, stay tuned. I've got, this, I've got that bug fixed in the new version. You can have a little form where you type in their name, you type in the, the, the details, and it creates a custom response that sounds and it feels and truly is actually personalized for the person that, that was writing in. Of course, you can use it just for your signatures. Maybe you have a few different signatures that you want to use it for. Maybe you want it to fix typos that you keep making over and over again. Maybe you wanted to use it to uh, insert the characters, the symbols and things that you can never remember which shift uh, uh, option key it is. It does all of this. Tidbits even has this really cool, uh, I, I don't know if you call it a database, it's probably the wrong term, but like a list of snippets that you can subscribe to. And Text Expander will update every day or every week or every month from this list of commonly mistyped words or common symbols or HTML codes that you wanted to do. It's really amazing. And I could go on and on about how I use this, but instead, you can just go to smilesoftware.com slash five by five. You can watch the video that David Sparks made that's there that shows how he uses it. And uh, you can get yourself a copy. It's only 15 bucks to upgrade if you bought it after January 15th, 2012. The full version is only $34.95. It's well worth it. I use this thing constantly all day long. And uh, don't worry if you bought Text Expander 3 from the Mac App Store. You can still get the upgrade price. All I have to do is go to smilesoftware.com slash 5 by 5 Go check them out. Thanks to those guys. So normally during the sponsor breaks, I will take you'll make that like an AeroPress, right? You'll make you'll make yourself a cup of coffee. Yeah, or I'll take the opportunity <laughs> to skim through the, the the Showbot title suggestions. And uh, this time, I since Merlin is on this show, there is such a ridiculously long number of titles. I've this is there's 129 already, and we're I like see, I want to see 200 timpani. <laughs> God, you guys never done not know Jerry Lewis. You know, I am so Dan. <laughs> This is good. This is good. Uh, I want to see. I want to see I more. I played timpani in high school. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh come on! You were a percussionist. Yeah, I, I could tune them by awfully ear. Awfully smart. It's pretty percussionist. cool. Hmm. Do you no, still do you still play Marco? No. I after high school there were there was no good thing for a high school band percussionist to do after high school. Uh, so therefore, I didn't <laughs> do anything after then. He just goes to the drum circle uh, before the fish show. He goes out there and gets his uh, his seaton. <laughs> Did My problem was Seaton? I, I never, I never got into like drum set drumming, and it, I, I just wasn't very good at it. I didn't really care that much about it. So I was really good at marching band drumming, which has no useful future once you know once you're out of high school. That's it. So I was to, really like wear the drum. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, Ooh. we would like wear them and do like a three mile parade uh, in July. That was fun. Um, 
yeah, it, you know, it, it was it was a lot of I, I had a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I, I played the quads, it was like the four little drums in front of you on the big thing, and uh, I was section leader. Which <laughs> I but that takes a lot of. Pr- I mean, those. you couldn't parlay that into something else. Yeah, I mean, think about. No. It. Let's take it and turn it. You could have things that involve straps. You could have things where there's four things. You could have things where you wear a hat like a Q-tip. I think I think you're thinking too deep inside the drum head. There's a lot imagine, of you know what? <laughs> imagine if, if you can remember back in the Stone Age when you guys were freshmen in college. Imagine being a freshman in college, having been a nerd for your entire life up to that point, and of course after that point, but you didn't realize that yet. Uh, having been a nerd all this time, and now you're in a group of brand new people who you're trying to impress and possibly let you have sex with them, and what are you gonna What are you gonna say? Oh yeah, I was the section leader in my high school marching band drum section. Like there's, it, it just makes a lot of sense when to that person in that. You situation, mean like you would you would compulsively have to tell them that? No, I'm saying like. If if you're that person in that situation, it makes a lot of sense to leave that behind. <laughs> you, you, can you, say, you, know you can say, you know what? I'm not going to mention this. wearing straps and have excellent rhythm. <laughs> that's <it. laughs> also I like computers. Yeah, that's another thing that in, even even when I was a freshman in college, which was in the year 2000, uh, even then that was still not a cool thing to tell people. You'd have to scream it. Holding like a plastic, a Dixie, like one of those uh, cups of plastic cups of beer in your hand, screaming over Limp Biscuit. <laughs> I'm comfortable with straps. <laughs> I run Windows 2000. I was just thinking about this the other day, though, that we live in a world that is so different where being, the, I mean, besides we could we could spend the rest of the show trying to define the term geek correctly or to John Syracuse's comfort, but it. It is a very, very different world today that the kinds of things that I would say the three of us and probably a lot of our listeners have always thought were interesting are actually – it's okay to like them now. It's really not – it's, it's, it's okay to like almost anything now. But I remember when I was I, – I have this vivid memory when uh, the, the Devo album that had Whip It on it, Merlin, which, which one is that? Uh, New Traditionalist. Is that it? I don't know. Can I type? Yeah, do it. Uh, that album had come out. I think it was about, I think it was about eleven years old, and like I remember talking to a kid in 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 school, and I asked, oh, do you, "You know, you have the new Devo," and that was like, "Oh, you like, oh, you like Devo, oh." And they like they would want to disassociate them. Maybe they they had enough other reasons to disassociate themselves from me already. But this just added to it. And now it like it doesn't really matter. Like nobody seems to care what music you like or or what you're into or if you like. Liking. Well, I wouldn't say that at all. Really? <laughs> As somebody who likes weird music, I definitely wouldn't say that at all. Like, no, but if, I, you, I think, if you I think find out if, if you find out that somebody doesn't like or likes a kind of music, you wouldn't want to be friends with them. As an adult, I wouldn't care because right. if, if I maintain that standard, nobody would be friends with me. But uh, no, I, I think I think in middle school and high school, that's still very real. Is it? I mean, you know, and I think I think to get back to what you said a minute ago with not defining geek, I think I will very quickly define it as, as somebody who cares less than you do about something, and, and or sorry, sorry, somebody who cares more than you do about something, or you know, kind of related, somebody who cares a lot about something you don't think is worth caring about. That's pretty. That's, so, that's, that's my definition. By I, I would like to apologize to everyone, including Van Hood. Freedom <laughs> of choice, uh, May sixteenth, nineteen eighty. Freedom of choice. I stand corrected. I'm very, very sorry. I'm surprised I didn't remember it. The shame, shame on both of us. I think. I think. I. I, I don't know. This is. I'm not sure if uh, Eric Raymond would agree with this, but I think. 
I, a geek and nerd. I don't know. I think I think a, 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 a geek is somebody who's really into something. A nerd is, is someone who's really into something and keeps talking about it long after it's clear that you don't care. Yeah, I mean, there's all the implications of between geek, nerd, and dweeb, and you know, some of them are just like you're smart or you care a lot about something, and some of them are just like you are not very good socially. Well, another um, another good definition is ner- of nerd is that you make a huge distinction between geeks and nerds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we probably shouldn't talk about that because we'll re- reveal how nerdy we all really are. But no, I, I think what's different now is not that people don't care to judge other people anymore for their preferences. <laughs> I think it's that all this technology has become extremely mainstream. And so now, if you're pretty good at using your iPhone in, in you know, ninth grade, if your parents were you know, good, <laughs> in good enough condition and, and willingly enough to buy you an iPhone... Um, which itself is is a whole separate issue, but you know if you if you're the kid who knows a lot about iPhones in ninth grade, well that's great because everyone everyone in ninth grade wants to know about iPhones and or you know some of them already have some or they have an iPod Touch and they're feeling inadequate or something. Um, it's funny, you know. Back, I used to back in middle school, there everyone in middle school who who didn't who wasn't a Mac person like you weirdos. Uh, everyone else in middle school always knew the one kid with the Mac. And it was always this like unfortunate thing. Like you'd be talking to your friends. Oh, I just got doom. It's awesome. It's a great game. You should try it. It's even better than Wolfenstein 3d. <laughs> and then you'd be like, Oh, Hey, Hey Colin, you know, can, can you, can we run this? Oh wait. Oh, you have a Mac. Oh, I'm sorry. And then, it, you know, Colin gets all sad. Oh yeah. I have a I, moose that can talk. Yeah. It's like, you can't <laughs> do anything on a Mac. And now, you know, maybe, maybe now, maybe that's what happens now to like, you know, if you're if you're in a, a school full of iPhones and somebody comes 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 in with like a sidekick, yeah, like is that is that like the the bad thing now? Has it moved beyond computers and now it's like, oh, you have the wrong smartphone OS on your phone? It's it's it is a completely different world, and um, I, I I I feel I feel really caught in the middle uh, right now as somebody who's spending a lot of time reading um, very old uh, X Men comics. I think something happened. Something has happened in the last few years. It's been simmering for a while, but I'm going to peg it to maybe being the release of the Avengers movie, where people are like, now, now the the nerds are super mad. Like they've had it. They have had it with like it being cool to be a geek, right? That, that's it. That's it. No, you're not allowed to be into the Avengers. Like, and that's my thing. I'm the one who's sick of the Avengers. You're not even allowed to like the Avengers. You you have to be sick of the. You know what I mean? You have to go and be right. reading. Uh, you have to go uh, and read. Uh, was it uh, Hammersmith, Odie on uh, Tuna Fish? What's that one you like, Dan? Is it was- Wasabi Maguro? Usagi Ujimbo. Don't touch my mustache. <laughs> now, it's cool to be a geek, and actually everybody's writing these, these, these long essays now about the, the really deep problems of, of geek culture becoming so you know, corrupted by you know, uh, everybody from booth bunnies to middle-aged men who read uh, X-Men. It's really, and, and you know, I think that's, I have to guess, I, I'll tell you where I feel that acutely is just being a Mac user. I've said this numerous times before, but it was really hard to be a Mac user. You're, you're precisely right, uh, Marco. It, it could have been the kid with the Mac for, if you were in a really, like a fancy place, it might be the kid with the Amiga. At least the kid with the Amiga, wow. you go, oh my God, that is so cool. But Mac <laughs> just looks, it looks stupid to people. It looked really dumb. You know what I mean? But um, like for me though, like, and, and you see this in, in, in those poor bastards like John Gruber, where, where you can tell he's still mad about how people didn't used to like Macs. Like he can't go to bed at night until he's shown people how wrong they have been for years about <laughs> Apple. I think that is heavily driving a lot of people right now. They can't get the smirk off their face now that Apple's not in the crapper. 
And I think that now that it's cool to have Apple stuff, you end up going like, hey, wait a minute. Like, I don't have anything to be mad at anymore. And when you're a geek and you used to whatever, maybe you didn't get, I, I never got like beat up. Like I never, but I was, I definitely felt like outside the norm, believe it or not. This is of course back in the early 20s. I was making my own uh, crystal radio sets. Uh, I made a trombone out of <laughs> steampunk. Right. It was, it was really an interesting time. Uh, Thomas Edison lent me his cane. Uh, but, but you know what I'm saying? I, I think you probably don't know what I'm saying because it makes no sense. But the same kind of impulse that makes somebody like me for a time where I would go, hmm, hmm, well, quarterly numbers are out and doodly doop boop. You know, it's like I could care less at this point. But there are some people who are still stinging from how much the Mac took it in the Apple in general took it in the shorts for years. They're happy to see Apple pull ahead. They're happy to see Apple get better. And now they're just so smug about it. And they're almost mad about how successful it's gotten. And people are still not acknowledging it. You know, it's, you're, you're, like, you're like, you know, why don't you love my science project? And they're like, well, it, you know, everybody's got science projects now. It's no big deal. So I don't, know, I don't know if that's the case. But I think it's very difficult for people who regard themselves as being part of outsider culture to see that culture um, sub subsumed into like the hegemony of the mainstream. Like in my case, that was REM. When REM, after like their... <sighs> Listen to me being that guy, but after about after about 1987, I would got real eye rolly about REM because they were my band. You know what I mean? No, you were you're not allowed to like that. Oh, you like that song? You know, like that made me so mad because I thought of it as being my band. And I think when your special thing goes away and everybody owns Dungeon Dice, like suddenly a part of you has been taken away. It might be the part of you that got beat up. It might be the part of you that didn't get to play Castle Funkin' Nazi or whatever. But like there's some part of you that feels like you're still owed an apology for when you were the only one who understood the specialness. No, and that's right. my brother-in-law who is, uh, he's played drums and, and he's been, you know, he's had his own band. He's great. And I remember back when he was, you know, in his mid-teens, 15, 16 years old, I would talk to him about it. Oh, did you hear the, you know, the Green Day album, whatever it was. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I can't listen to them anymore. I'm like, why not? They sold out. <laughs> they're too mainstream now. You know, they're on a big whatever label. Whatever that means. But it, what it meant <laughs> they can, to him. They can, afford to, they can afford to buy a van. Yeah, they can actually, yeah, they don't have to borrow money to tour now. And it was... I remember thinking, like, wouldn't you be happy for them? Like, doesn't that make you feel like maybe your band could become successful too? And and no, nah, we wouldn't want that. We wouldn't never want that. We identify, especially when we're teenagers. We, I, I, I really believe this. When you're a teenager, you identify so heavily by what you don't like, uh, who who you don't like, and who and what you refuse to ever become. I felt that way through college. David Sedaris actually has a really funny bit about this. About you know, he went to school. I you think have coffee in, with him this morning. Yeah, over at Ev Williams' house. Oh, nice. It's Ev. I just call him E. I just call him E. I just call him E. Um, <laughs> Josh. And, and, uh, and so anyway, I was, I was with my friend David Sedaris and my, and my lover. And, uh, and he, he, uh, so David Sedaris was like, you know, he went to school, I think it was North Carolina. His, his father, I think, worked for IBM and him and Amy and the whole family lived there. And uh, he was like the weird kid at his school. He was the goth kid. I, I might be remembering this slightly incorrectly, but like he was like the, the kid who read books and was like a little bit Tim Burton. You know, like he, was, he was like the weird kid at his school. And then he went to college and there were like not only like a hundred other people that were that same kid, but a lot of them were doing it better. And that's so frustrating. Like I was the writer guy. I was the features editor in high school. And then I went to college and realized how much I sucked as a writer. It made me so mad. And that's, I think that's part of what happens is your identity is so wound up in who you think you are to, 
by in contrast to other people. You know what I mean? And, and that's why I want a bunch of nerds sitting around in a room and argue like, like who knows more about Kitty Pride? Sorry, Ariel. Sorry, Shadowcat. Whatever. You sit there and you hear people in a room arguing and, and like, go God. I don't know what the answer to this is, but the question should definitely be how many pro programmers does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> well, and to well, let's let's a try a couple. I'm going to try one. Uh, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> to go off on a little tangent about that, um, I think one thing that's really interesting about today and, and this, this era that we live in now and the internet is that, you know, before, like, when I, you know, what you just said about when you, you go to college and then there's like, uh, you know, 100 people who, who are the same kind of you know, niche smart as you, and uh, suddenly you're not so special anymore. I think now the internet d can do that for people at any age and in almost any field. You know, now, you know, if you, if you subject yourself to internet criticism or if you look at what people on the internet are doing, um, like, like when, when Tiff was starting photography, I don't think she'll mind me saying this, when she was starting photography work professionally, she was very intimidated because she would browse all these pro photo sites and, and look at all these really good pro photos online and think I'm not good enough mm. because look at how good these, these people are on the internet. They're really good. And you know, what you don't realize is that, yeah, those, those people on the internet, that's like the top 0.1%. That's like the best people in the world who, who have enough attention on the internet, who you're really seeing and hearing about. Whereas if you offer photography service to your town or your region that you live in, you could very easily be the best one in the region and not think you're as good as the guy on that blog that you read. Hmm. You know, because now it would, you know, it's easy to, it's it easy to be like locally more things exceptional. to feel bad about. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, uh, you know, on the internet, the, the standards are so high because you're looking at like the entire world worth of contributions and worth of people and, and material. And so, you know, that has, that has the two effects of both, you know, being intimidating when you're starting out, thinking you're not good enough because you aren't as good as like the superstars of this field. Um, but it also has the, the extremely positive side effect of making you think that that's how good you have to be or that you have to be even better than that. And if you, if you think you have to be as good as the people on this awesome like top photo blog thing, you're going to try really hard to make yourself a lot better. Not just a little bit better to get a little bit more business in town taking kids' photos. A lot better. And that's a whole, like, for me, for me, I've, I've had that same progression with writing where I, I care a lot about writing. But, and if I was only writing for, like, my, my town newspaper, you know, Brooklyn News, um, if I was only writing for my town newspaper, I still like I, I might think I was really good and I might stop getting better. But because I write on the Internet in a way where people can give feedback, not through comments, but through lots of other ways, um, at least not through comments on my site, but comments on Hacker News, um, because because I have subjected myself to the whole world of criticism and because I'm reading what I think is like the best of the best from other people, I'm holding myself to a much higher standard. And so I am pushing myself to get much better than I would ever have pushed myself if I was only seeing the local audience. That's really good. Does it ever make you feel, uh, permit me to project um, very obliquely for a minute, does that ever uh, make you second think whether you want to write that particular thing at all? Do you ever get partway into something and go, ooh, 
Hacker News is going to tear this apart, or I'm going to not make my point well and have to do a follow up. Does that ever stymie you, knowing you have that large of an audience? That's a great, you know, I've wondered that too. And you've got to feel that, Marco. You've got to it feel It makes that. me hold myself to a little bit of a higher standard. So the other day, um, oh, so like, you run, you run spell check and stuff. <laughs> actually, no. Because <laughs> I write everything, in, I write everything in, in whatever text editor I'm using that week. And they usually don't have spell check because they think it's source code. Um, so I usually don't have any kind of spell check. Uh, anyway, so. You can change that in the bundle. <laughs> <laughs> so your scope is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do hold myself to a higher standard. Like if, if I'm trying to argue something that I really don't have a very strong basis to argue, uh, I will often now cut that out where like two years ago, I would have just written it because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have either seen the weakness of my argument or I wouldn't have cared. Um, and, and so I, and, and I look back on what I've written in the past and I'm embarrassed and horrified by how bad it was compared to what I write now. And I'm sure in two years, I'm going to look back on what I wrote now and be embarrassed and horrified by that because I, I keep pushing myself to be not just a little bit better, but a lot better. And that, that I think, is what you get when, you, when you're in this environment of the internet, of, of being around the best of the best all the time, if you choose to be. Uh, that really pushes you. It really encourages you to, to get, you know, as I said, to, to not just get good enough to be the best out of 40 people around you, but good enough to be the best, period. And even if you never achieve that, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be the best writer in the world, but if I can push myself to be okay on the internet, that's like the top 1% in the world. And, and in Tiff's case, um, well, not in Tiff's case, but in, in the case of a, a photographer, if you had, like me, you sat around and you looked at like what, a Richard Avedon book or like an Annie Leibovitz book or a, even like a famous photos from Life magazine, you know, you might sit around and that seems so far away and so out of reach. But today, for better or for worse, and I'm just going to say it exactly that way, because sometimes it's for a lot of times it's for worse and it's sometimes it's a little bit for better, is those people are really just barely out of your reach. You go, hey, I got the same CMS that person has. You know, hey, I, I've got the same text editor that person has. You know, um, right. in some cases, now the worst of that is somebody will sit around and go, all I need now is their magic hat. But, but in, <laughs> in many cases, you could say, hey, you know what? If I write something really good about this, John Gruber might see it and, 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 uh, and link to it. If I write something really smart in response to this guy or Marco or whoever will see it, I assume there's, all, uh, uh, there's women on the internet too, but th- these, are, these are the ones I'm familiar with. Hold for a laugh. And, uh, but that's really true. And I, that, that was the case with me. I, I was on this interview. Well, your buddy's over at the, the 70 Decibels. I had a pretty good interview with those guys on their new show. Yeah. Great guys. Oh, you did? Is that out yet? Yeah, yeah. It turned out pretty well. Yeah. It's one of my 35. This is actually my 36th. Did, but did they, did they release it yet? Yeah, release it's out. It? It's out. It's I haven't been, listened to it. It's been released. It's dropped. They dropped the epi. <laughs> I'll put it. I'll put it in the show notes. Put it in the notes. I'll drop it. Uh, but uh, but I'm not sure what my point was. But uh, that for me, when I started out doing this nonsense on the on the when the internet got to be good, I mean the internet used to be weird. First it was weird, then it was cool, and then it got good. And when the internet got good, I would say around like when blogs started being such a to me such an interesting and compelling thing. Go for holes are great. That's fun. I found a place with Simpsons quotes. It's five in the morning. This is cool. But, but then when it got to the point where people were putting so much effort into things, when you had like suck, 
You know what I mean? When you had stuff, all this great stuff coming out, all those great blogs, it was incredibly inspiring to somebody who was a smart ass without an outlet. It was suddenly incredibly inspiring. And it absolutely, I, but the thing is, isn't it funny though? I read stuff that I wrote on, even on 43 folders, even not that many years ago, even when I updated the site. I go and read that stuff now and I just want to pluck my eyes out with crows. I just, I can't believe how unbelievably bad it is. But you know what? It's not as bad as, as what I wrote in my 1988 review of Life's Rich Pageant. You know, I mean, it's, you see yourself improving that stuff. But I agree with you, Marco. On the one hand, it's great to be surrounded by that. It's great to aspire for those things. But like, I also wonder how fail culture, um, the culture of fail, if you like, keeps people from wanting to even try things. And and certainly it keeps them from wanting to expose anything but the branded version of themselves that that Hacker News will not tear apart. That's (laughs) That's what worries me, is it used to be you could you could have breast cancer and talk about this on a group and people at a mailing list and people at your work wouldn't find out. You know, you could have you could have questions about your sexuality that you could go and find out information about and post and so you know what I'm saying. There used to be stuff where you could have facets to you that nobody ever had to grok as being part of this one person. It wasn't that you were being fake. It's just that you had different parts of your personality that belonged in different places. Maybe you're at dinner and you don't want your uh, hypothetically, uh, and uh, in-laws to discover that you make boner jokes on the web for the sake of argument. I think that's the thing that's a little bit discouraging now is that com- there's no place to be stupid for a while while you figure something out and still have it published. Do you know what I mean? Mm. On LiveJournal, right. LiveJournal had, when I was uh, uh, cutting myself on LiveJournal, there was all kinds of places to go in and have little private communities. And I guess that kind of still exists. But it's hard to publish for a small group and, and move out, you know, because you're still on Google. People can still go Google you and go, whoa, this person's that. You know, this person used to be a goth and now they think they're fancy or whatever. You know, that's, I think that's the downside. <laughs> but, I, but I'm sorry, I derailed this. But I, but I agree with you, Marco. And I was, I've been so inspired over, over the years by people that felt just, just, just perfectly out of my reach. Like far enough out of my reach that it pushed me forward. And like, um, but near enough to my reach that, that, I, that I would go, you know what, someday if I do this really well, this person might not hate me. Right. And, and there's also, there's a double-edged sword. You mentioned the tools earlier. And this is, of course, this is a very you topic. Um, you know, now, you're right, like you're using the same tools. You know, John Gruber writes in BB Edit. I can go buy BB Edit and write like John Gruber. You know, like, it's, like, that was, I was going to say if anything, somebody, yeah, that's a big point. <laughs> like, like if, some, if somebody wants to go take the picture in National Geographic, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's a special case, but if you go buy like you know a rebel, you can take that kind of picture. And now I know it's medium format, okay. But if you if you go like you know you can you can go take the same kind of pictures as these people on blogs that you like with relatively inexpensive cameras. Um, you can even take many of them with your cell phone camera that you probably already have. Um, you know, and people get obsessed with the tools that like people is ask. You, you see the comments on Flickr and and. You'll see some really nice photo. Is Flickr still up? Yeah, okay. So you'll see the comments yeah. on Flickr. I just, I just, I just did a uh, yeah. You I just check. did a uh, ping on and it. And like There's the first four comments are, oh my god, what camera were you using to take that picture? Right. Because people are still so obsessed with, if I get the right tools, I can do that thing like what that app person. What did you use to way over sharpen that? Right. Exactly. And so like, and and this is a double edged sword. On one side, it's great that these tools are so available. It's so much more available than they ever were before. On the other side, you can't blame the tools anymore for your lack of being good. Like you can't say, 
oh, I would be so, such a better writer if only I had the right text editor. No, you, it's your fault, that, whether you're good or not. Like, it's totally on you now. And, and, like, and there's no way to cheat that. You can't like, buy a better editor and have that make up for 10 years of experience. Like, there's, like, it's right. totally on you now, which is both freeing and also a little bit intimidating for a lot of people. I think that's definitely a part of it. I think there's another part of it that is very uncomfortable for us to talk about. Um, let's say you got like a rebel or you got a whatever. You got something. Let's say you got a point and shoot. Let's say you got one of those El McPherson cameras and you just go out and start taking pictures. I think, I think yeah, it might, be, it might take a while for you to get better at it. And I, I happen to think that even more than writing, full, um, photography is a terrific example of something where you can watch yourself get better at it and people can watch you get better at it. I've talked at length about this. There's that, um, Dan, we linked to that thing on 43 Folders, something like Sucking Less or something about photography. Yeah. I mean, I really believe, and I learned this from, from friends of mine, like from Chris Glass, um, like, you know, just take so many, so many, so many photos and eventually you'll get better at it. And then you learn, oh, I should really take five photos of everything, so on and so forth. There's ways to become, sanely become a better photographer. I love this example of photography. You know what I think? I, I think even, let's say you suck, or at the other end of the continuum, let's say you are truly outstanding. I bet the reason a lot of people get discouraged is they didn't get enough stars. I'll speak for myself too. I feel much more encouraged to do things if I'm seeing positive responses from people. I look at Fab Star all the time. It's totally depressing. I don't know why I do it. I want to be loved on there. I think if you go on to Flickr and you start trying to play at the level of the oversharpened people, the unsharp mask posse, you when you go in there and you're not getting enough attention fast enough. My gut tells me, even as a 45-year-old man, that tells me... My God, gut tells you're me, old. I feel wow. so old. 45? Yeah. You know, I had to move from a wooden cane to an aluminum cane just because it was so heavy. The weight of the cane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, if you account for my braces, I mean, that really adds up. Do you have the tennis ball at the bottom of the that thing you use when you oh yeah, when you're the on the flat surface and you push oh, it? It just makes it easier for it to move. I don't have to lift it as much because, yeah. as you know, I, I have I have several uh, muscular issues. <laughs> uh-uh. don't, can I can I beg you to not get me started on my tendons? Oh God! You tell me if you think that's right or wrong. We could all sit here all day long and go, baby, there. I don't care what people think about me. But I'll just bet you, if you don't get enough thumbs, you quit taking pictures, and you never find out if you could get better. That's my gut. You know what I mean? If you don't see enough tumblers on your tumbler, if you don't if you don't see enough uh, favors on your favor, I think that's probably super discouraging. And that's when you go into that's fine for Merlin mode in some ways. And let me just stipulate: I am I am compl- I ego surf the crap out of stuff. I, not even website statistics. I look at that. I, I look at the, the dashboard sometimes and like go, oh god, why am I doing this? Like, why do I need to be loved to go make something? It's so pathetic. But I got a feeling a lot of people are like that, and they just really don't want to admit it. And they, and you know, the thing is, you know, in a different time, I'm trying to think, I was just trying to Google this, this one dude, the guy who took all the pictures in France, what's his name? I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Robert uh, Doisneau. But I mean, you think about the people who went, I think about my, my, uh, my late father-in-law. He had like okay cameras. He had an okay camera. He had like a Nikon before that. He's had some old ones. But think about the way, he was a fantastic photographer. He got good at it. But how did he do it? He dropped some 400 speed film into a camera and walked around and took photos and then saw how it turned out. He didn't have EXIF data. He had no way to even know what his settings were. He didn't know what his, what his shutter dealy was. He, if he was in AV mode, he'd just have to see how it went. And that cost money to do. Isn't that mind-blowing? You see some of those amazing photos people took in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Yes, classic cameras, whatever. But they, they, they didn't necessarily always have a light meter. 
They didn't have anything. They just went out and shot and shot and shot. And you know what? They didn't get a star for years, but they still kept doing it because they, they, they couldn't stop doing it. And I think, I think today it's probably, I don't, I'm talking out of my ass, but I think it's probably not unusual for people to not stick with it, even with all those tools, even with all the EXIF data, even with that awesome 50 millimeter lens that I love. You may not stick with it for a long time because the, Payback's not there. It's not, or it's not there fast enough, or it's not there compared to somebody else you're comparing yourself up against in the clout inator or whatever. Right. Well, like I, I tried to learn how to play guitar in high school, and I gave up very quickly because I wanted to be good immediately, and I wasn't. Mm. And I wasn't willing to practice every single day for years to get that good. I, I just, I got so frustrated that I wasn't good immediately that I just gave up within like two weeks. But you didn't with programming. No. Well. No, I didn't, but I, I was more driven to do that. Like I had, also, the return might have been more gratifying. Yeah. The ability, if yeah. it takes three weeks to learn smoke on the water, you might you know, kind of give up. And by the <laughs> way, Marco, can I just say, if you had stayed for one more week, if you stayed for three oh, weeks, he you'd, been be awesome. than, you'd be better than almost every guitar player. Yeah. That's all it is, three weeks. You just got to build a habit, right? It's like when you're digging for the, the, the treasure chest and you stop right, right before the treasure chest and you don't realize that if you dug one more foot, you would have found it. <laughs> yeah, but my problem would be I'd, I'd compare myself to Trey Anastasio and I'd be like, oh, I can't do that. Well, that, oh, well, better stop playing. <laughs> what if he gave up on that beard, Marco? Have you ever thought about that? Oh. What, if he just, what if he just quit when he was uh, harming the people he loved with kisses? What if he gave up on the beard? What if he <laughs> never got the funny glasses? You think about that. That's one to grow on. Yeah. yeah. But no, I, you know what, though? Here's the thing. I, again, like, and uh, sorry to reference other stuff, but uh, the, you know what? I won't. But uh, I talked to a friend of mine that I do a different podcast with one time about learning guitar. And when you're, when you're a kid, and you probably remember this, Dan, like it's so frustrating. In your head, you can play guitar. It's just your fingers don't know how to play guitar. And yeah. it's so frustrating. I wanted to be Pete Townsend more than anything in the world. I wanted it so much. And I eventually my friend gave me the tab for Pinball Wizard and I could kind of suffer my way through it. But it was incredibly frustrating. And I, I imagine, I, you know, again, it's so fast that I'll just put these side by side. But I, I guess it has to be that way a little bit with, with programming. I mean, you and I are reversed oh, yeah. in that one, Marco. I've given up on trying to learn scripting languages so many times because I didn't have anything I really needed to make with it. And I didn't have the time and inclination to just plow into it over a month or five and get even halfway decent with it. I, I couldn't play Smoke on the Water with Python. <laughs> exactly. It really, yeah, it really is. Like you and I are, are the exact opposites for those things. Which is why we should get married. Wow. Yeah, obviously. All right, let's do our second uh, Can't sponsor. do it in California, can you? Or is that, <laughs> they, they flip that you can over? You do there? anything you want in California. Oh, you yeah. have to do. You have to do everything you want in California. You get a ticket. You don't <laughs> pay the ticket. You just you just have to take it out for a vegan meal. <laughs> Our second sponsor, Mailchimp, easy email newsletters. These guys are longtime sponsor of these shows, and I love them. Uh, we use these uh, famously. Merlin Mann uses these for bulk bag, the newsletter. I don't know, Marco, if you use them. I mean, we we also use Mailchimp not just on five by five. We also use them integrated into the five by five iOS app because. They basically write all the code and you just drop it in or it's a component or component, as Marco would say, uh, that you just drop into your iOS app or your Android app because they've got that too. That's called ChimpKit. But what do they do? MailChimp, they help you design email newsletters. They help you share them. They integrate with the services you already use like Facebook, Twitter, whatever. And you can track the results. It's like your own personal publishing platform. And what's really cool about this is you can customize your sign-up form to match your brand. It looks exactly like the rest of your website. 
You can share it on your website. You can integrate it into any of these other services that you want and make it super easy for people to sign up and subscribe to your newsletter. You can even get signups from the iPad, from laptop, whatever it is. You can be out at a trade show. You can have your iPad in front of them. People can walk up, sign right there. Now, it's very easy to get an existing list from another company into MailChimp. They import everything. doesn't matter how things have been formatted. It doesn't matter where you are saving that information. They can do it. It's really great, and it's a really good time to sign up. Why? Because you can send up to 2,000 emails to 12,000 people for free, and this is forever for free. And uh, that's kind of amazing. I don't know how they do that, uh, but they do it. And this is all real-time stuff, so you can see as your subscribers are opening the emails, you can see percentages of who opened them, all in real time. It's very, very cool stuff. So you can support these shows, and you can try this out and learn something new at the same time by going to MailChimp.com slash 5 by 5 Thanks very much to those guys for supporting 5 by 5 for about three years now. So thanks very much to MailChimp. Are we back? We are. You can come back yeah. now. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's not yeah. bad. You guys going to get the new iPhone? The one that's coming out on September, uh, what is it? What The 21st, it'll be out. It'll be announced. Is it the 9th that it gets announced? Uh, I don't know. I, I marked it in my calendar. Whenever there's like a, a pretty solid Apple rumor about an event, I put it on my calendar. All day event. Here's what I'm seeing. Uh, that's iPhone, how I roll. iPhone 5 release date in September they're saying that September 9th, it will be uh, it will be announced or unveiled on no September 12th. There it is. September 12th will be the debut date. And now there's new speculation that not only will it be the iPhone, but the iPad Junior may also be announced there. You know, I used to be able to always go with some kind of reference to a mythical future Apple device that everyone always wanted to exist and never did. And for a while, that was the tablet. And I'd be able to put a joke in there like, and the tablet, ha, ha, ha. And I think they've released all those devices now. Like, I, maybe the TV might be the next one. So, so now, now everyone's going to be like, oh, uh, well, they're going to, in this iPhone event, maybe they're, maybe they're also do the one more thing and it'll be the TV. You know? I'm, already, I'm already disappointed that they didn't announce the TV. <laughs> I, oh, I, you know, weird. it was widely anticipated by me that they would announce the TV, so I'm already disappointed. Right, Exactly. Analysts are disappointed. Front glass <laughs> Apple missed analyst expectations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know what? Uh, I, I have to admit, uh, as much as I, I, I kid my, my pals who follow that crap, uh, that, is, that is so silly and so frustrating to watch when, <laughs> when they do that. Oh, they're, <laughs> they're, their meteoric and nearly unprecedented rise from the ashes has not been what we expected it to be? Like... God, people, that's the problem. So that's the so iPhone iPhone five. Um, you guys on redacted? You're on redacted, Marco. Not on my carry phone yet. Mm. I, I, I was. I've been very conservative. I have. I have a. Is my that old the term? Your 4? carry phone? Carry phone. I, that's what Gruber said when he asked it's me about it. So I'm, I'm just copying his word. Yeah, I like that. It's it's a good. <laughs> what I call it? Yeah. Good term. I think it's interesting though. Like you know, so if, if you look at at like you know what they've done on the iPhone so far. Um, you know, look at the 4S, and it's pretty good. So let me go through a quick history. iPhone 1, it got hot. It had that stupid headphone jack. Uh, it was edge only. It had the terrible camera. No MMS, no GPS. Okay. So good phone, a lot of room for improvement. iPhone 3G came out, way cheaper, 
fixed MMS, fixed GPS, uh, normal headphone jack. Everyone was happy. Uh, camera still sucked, and it was a little bit slow towards the end of its life for the modern software. 3GS comes out, and it basically has no major problems. That was solid. And, yeah, the 3GS was... Ve- and it's, look, they're still selling it. That yeah, was, still. came out in, what, 2009? They're still selling it. iPhone 4 comes out, and it's good, but it has the kind of weird antenna issues for a lot of people, and it has a very, very slow camera, and I feel like there's little oddities like that. Then the 4S comes out and fixes all that. So I'm wondering, like, you know, we, we, I think we, we can look back and clearly say the 3GS and the 4S are very, very solid releases. And it's almost like it's almost like Intel's TikTok thing, where you kind of alternate like one release that moves a lot of stuff forward, but is kind of bad in some ways, and then the next release that kind of irons over the rough edges of the previous one and just improves everything. Um, so, if that cycle is to hold, then the next one is another jump. And so I'm I'm kind of wondering like what's going to happen here? Like, you know, we have the 4S. It, as far as I know, do you guys agree? I mean, it seems like the 4S doesn't really have any major problems. I don't have any with it. I'm incredibly satisfied with it. I mean, and you know, setting aside Siri not working that reliably, that's not really the hardware's fault. No. Um, you know, and I think they've actually improved that a, quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. So you said that. Oh, oh, you said that, but Merlin, I don't know if you've seen it. Merlin and I were just talking about how it 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 has gotten worse. Oh, really? Has Siri, it gotten better? I, I think Siri's out to get me. It's possible. And now, right recently, what's weird is recently, and this is again, it's drunk dad, right? He comes to just enough of your plays to give you hope, and that's why you hate him. <laughs> so if Siri just simply, if Siri would, would be a gentleman and just simply not work, I would be fine with it. But then I do a demo, uh, uh, you know, I'll just like show something off to my daughter who can't read super well anyway, so she wouldn't be able to tell the difference. But I, but you know, I, I will sit there and I'll do what's what, what blows my mind is, I, hmm, Marco, maybe you can address this, not to derail this, but, but, hmm, but, uh, What's weird is where Siri sucks is with the finding stuff. Siri, for some reason, for dictation lately, has been blazingly fast for me and, and, and surprisingly yes. accurate. Yeah. Well, that's always how it's been. It's always like, because, you know, the words get returned to you quickly. That, like the recognized words of what you said. And it shows in a little bubble. And then it returns like the intelligent result of what you meant by that um, in theory. And the, even when Siri had a lot of problems, the transcription part of it yeah, the dict- has always been extremely good. And it's so weird because I can say something to it like I could, I can launch a, te- I can launch the what do you call it, messages and launch that. And I, let's say Marco, I'm sending you a text message. I could type in there, I can dictate to it and say, Marco, could we record thirty minutes earlier today? Um, I have to drop my kid off at camp unexpectedly. Period. It'll get that perfect. And then maybe you'll say, maybe call me. So I'll hit Siri, call Marco, and it just spins and spins and spins. Two words, call Marco. It can't right. figure that out. And it recognizes the words correctly. <laughs> right. It just doesn't know how to interpret it. It sometimes right. does. I, get, but I was with you for a minute, but when I do uh, dictation, I'm astonished with how well it works. So for me, that isn't texting <clears throat> or just in my, like my uh, little capture text app. Yeah. But then I go, I'm trying to find one from the other night that was just ludicrous. I put on Tumblr. I, it, I said something pretty, pretty not too crazy in, in, at dinner. I wanted to do a jokey lookup of something. And it came out with something. It was like, you know, Varenix aphasia or something. It came out and it made absolutely no sense. Uh, do you get that though? Like it, where it'll work great. Aphasias aren't funny. Um, it'll, it'll work great inside of the dictation, the strictly dictation piece of an app. Yeah. But then it doesn't always get the information. It doesn't always yeah. transcribe. Does, do do does that make any sense? Well, like like last yes, yesterday, we had a reservation for dinner, and I I'm, I called, made a reservation. So then I immediately told Siri after I got off the phone, remind me at seven o'clock 
to go to dinner at 7.30. It transcribed that as create a reminder for 7.30 p.m. whose text is at 7 o'clock to go to dinner. <laughs> now, admittedly, that was, that, that I, was a tough I one. I see why it parsed it that way. Like, remind me, okay, that's a term. And then the end of what I said was at 7.30. So that was, I meant that to be part of the reminder text. But it said that's the time of the reminder. And then so what's left? At 7 o'clock to go to dinner. And so sure enough, we walk in the restaurant. And right as I walk in the restaurant, my phone vibrates saying, at 7 o'clock to go to dinner. (laughs) Right. Oh, I get get real very... Hey, uh, Dan, can you send that Earl to uh, to Marco? I I get those kinds of things all, all the time where... Yeah, you know, Dan, we talked about using do, the D-U-E. They should just call the app do D-U-E because everybody has to spell it. <laughs> but uh, it, that thing is awesome when you're typing and, and uh, sort of like with Fantastical, it, it, it not only does natural language, but it understands what to take out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you ever use Fantastical? Do you guys use that It's at all? great. And I love, I love <laughs> about it and because, you know, iCal ripped off part of that feature, but iCal did it very badly. I love the feature where it animates its parsing as it's yes. going. So you can tell whether it's parsing what you're saying correctly, and you can kind of adjust how you're typing it to well, fix yeah. that if it's, if it's getting it wrong. So I could say, uh, daddy-daughter time with Eleanor, Eleanor from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. at home slash BF. And that finds Eleanor in my contacts. It grocks that it's, it's going to be from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. And do you know about the slash? If you do slash incremental text, it'll find that calendar without you having to select it. Oh, that's so cool. good. BF in my case is uh, big family calendar. So you know what I mean. Like it's it's, <clears throat> but they and, and do DUE. That's freebie for you guys. It does that. But here's one. Did you send him that, Dan? This is one from. Yeah, he's yeah that's that's amazing. I was I was admittedly <laughs> out at dinner, but it was not super loud. All I remember is we wanted it was some silly Siri test, some silly Wolfram Alpha thing where it was something like, um, how many how, how does Martin Scorsese <laughs> use something. And if I may, uh, it, it says, How many bonds? Scorsese, David's Quinn, Tomorrow, Shlomo, Nothing, No, Danny TV, Dorothy Show. <laughs> the Shlomo um, part is the best. <laughs> how many? Now, now, understand, mini bonds. I don't know what a mini bond is. It's like a Cinnabon that's, that's small and is, a, I guess, maybe some kind of a financial instrument. M I N I B O N D S, one word. How many bonds? Scorsese, David's Quinn, Tomorrow, Shlomo, Nothing, No, Danny TV, Dorothy Show. <laughs> if you like, I can search the web for burst mode. That's the best. Because <laughs> that's my previous search. My previous search had been burst mode. Because <clears throat> that's uh, something I suffer from. Well, not so much anymore, but when I was a young man, boy, did I ever have burst mode. <sighs> I could push out a lot of frames. <laughs> wow. Did you, do you have notes for this, Merlin? No vage, any TV Dorothy show. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I misunderstood what you asked. <laughs> you know, I, this is just, it's such a difficult science trying to interpret this stuff. But it's in, it seems to me to be way more difficult when Siri just just sits there spinning and it just really I wa- I would much rather have it come back with something like this where just get get it wrong but give me something back just give it back to me well, right away to, make it, it fast yeah do it fast yeah right give me something fast and maybe clarify later if you know but again these are all hard problems and <laughs> and, like, and and I think you're right like I, Dan you said forever ago when Siri first came out. Um, even though that was less than a year ago in our world, it's Seems forever like ago, a million um, years ago, <laughs> right? Um, but you said back then that you really missed the voice call feature from right. the 3GS and the iPhone 4, where you could just say "Call Dan" and it would recognize that from the address book, uh, and, 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 and it, it did and it all locally. On the, on the show, it works offline, right? That exactly, was part of because the- it was all local. And they and when Siri came out, they just replaced that. 
So now if you have a 4S and you have to occasionally make a call when you have a weak connection, it's actually far worse than on any previous phone. Because when you say call Dan and it says waiting, waiting, waiting. I'm sorry, I can't take any requests right now. You know, and it, it's far, and by that point, you might as well have just taken the phone out and found it that way. Um, That's or, the thing or, is, you know, crashed your car while doing it in the car. The value, the value of Siri and text dictation. There's two things. One is the concept or the the goal of being able to do it hands free, and the second is the goal of being able to do it in le- the same or less time. If I could hold right. the phone and find Marco's phone number and dial it there's the reason the only reason i would use siri to do that is because either i can't do that i'm holding something i'm driving whatever it is or that doing so would take me more time than just saying call marco and then when siri gets both of those things wrong it can't figure out how to call you or what i'm asking it and it's just sitting there forever and ever and eventually just timing out like wait i just waited 35 seconds for you to tell me that you can't call marco Right. It's it's like if you have like a useless <laughs> intern, like you, the first time you tell them to do something. Right. And, you know, they come back two days later and it's broken and half done. And, and you just I'll just do it myself. <laughs> you know, do that a few times and you're just going to stop asking them to do anything. Yeah. Well, it's, it's true of everything. I mean, whether that's light switches or hot water or whatever. I mean, if you walked in and the light switch worked 95 percent of the time, it would be much crazier than just knowing that it didn't work. You'd stop <laughs> right. trying. You're exactly. like the pet, you're like that pigeon, you know, pecking away at your light switch. I think it's absolutely true. And the funny part is, calling it a beta doesn't help. Or aren't they, isn't it? Aren't they calling it a beta? Still, are they still calling it a beta? They, I don't know. I, I, well, I mean, it better be. You know, I mean, because because here's the thing. Let let's go back, and this is where we wrap it all up. Uh, from my point of view, um, yes, it is. In. It says Siri is currently in beta and will continue to improve it on the Siri page on Apple's site. Um. How does Apple want you to use this stuff? Well, clearly Apple wants you to be using stuff like Siri. They've got it in commercials and stuff. Let's say I want to do the dictation. Let's say in. Let's say I go in and I finally get that moment uh, from my my theoretical novel where it's going to all come together, and I start talking into my phone because I'm driving, and it didn't get it, or it got part of it, or it got it wrong, and now I'm driving down the road and I'm angry at my novel. Like that's the problem. I mean, it's it's and again, Van Hoot's going to go. Well, you know, this is really advanced technology. Certainly, things like that are going to happen. But I don't think that that's how Uncle Joe looks at it. It's a fun toy, but I mean, for a long time, I've come back to it, especially with Redacted, because there's some pretty cool stuff. But you know, you're you're going to be much less likely to trust anything that does not work for you almost all the time. I mean, we can suffer people in our lives who who aren't perfect, but 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 we want a light switch that's going to turn on when we hit it. We don't, want exactly. it, we don't want it to take a minute to tell us it's not up to it right now. And, and, and what you just hit on with, with the idea for the book in the car, you know, that, that's, that's losing input. Like if, and when Siri fails, if you just told it like a two-sentence note or reminder or calendar thing that you want it to really take down and it fails, you lose that input. And you have to repeat yourself or just type it in or just lose it. And it, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the complexity of all these new problems in computing and, and how there's no good solution. Um, now, features like this, you know, this is an extremely complex thing uh, that is, it's probably never going to be as reliable as, as we really want it to be because it's so complex and it relies on all these, these unreliable factors like network connectivity. But, um, you know, back when your grandpa, Uncle Joe or whatever was, was typing into Microsoft <laughs> grandpa, Word. Grandpa, Uncle Joey. Yeah, 
uh, for the you know back, back when when Grand Uncle Joe was typing into Microsoft Word for the first time um, in 1992, you know back before the fall and all that stuff. Uh, he, he you know his what he was typing in on the keyboard that was his input, and it wouldn't just like randomly delete a sentence every eleven sentences that you typed, <laughs> right? You know, so like back then computers were doing a lot less. But what they were doing, they could generally do a lot more reliably. And now we can still do all the things they did back then for the most part as well or better as they did back then. But now we expect so many new things from our computers and we have, you know, we're, we're, and they claim to be able to solve these problems. And we expect it to work like a computer, which is you do what I told you to do and nothing more. Um, and it, no matter how much that screws people up sometimes, you can at least usually expect computers to work that way. Uh, but now you have all these little weird exceptions. Like, well, you'll have all your stuff on all your devices except for all, all these ridiculous number of edge cases that you're going to hit at least four of. And, oh, yeah, Siri works great. It can dictate everything you say 80% of the time. And, and like, that's... We're, we're, our computers are actually getting less reliable. They're doing a lot more. But a lot of the new stuff that they're, that they're doing, a lot of the more recent technical developments that they're doing, they don't do very well. And I don't know... and and. I'm not sure how much of this can ever be improved because of the inherent complexity in so many of these new things. Um, well, let me play devil's advocate for just a second to, my, to your point and to my own point. Uh, think about when you very first picked up an iPhone and started typing on it. In my case, it's, in retrospect, it's crazy how long it took me to get that I had to stop typing like I was on a computer, which is where I would... It was basically, I did touch... I did not even touch typing. I did, I did hunt and peck. You know, where you go like, you know... W H O space I S space T A right and it'll go tick, tick, right. and you correct tick. every miss hit letter absolutely because yeah. that's how you type and you know what I do now I go and I just hit it with my thumbs yeah. it gets it <laughs> mostly right and then I go fix the misspellings and it's a thousand times faster than going W H O space it sounds nuts right but like when I finally got that I think it might have been Gruber is like now nah, you just go like this and, it, and, and like it goes wow it knows what I wanted to type mostly except for sec short for second right <laughs> <laughs> it really doesn't want to learn that whenever when you see somebody holding an iPhone and they're using just their one finger and they're they're typing and you see them typing it why does that word keep popping yeah. up I don't want that one and then yeah. they're and, and they're and they're typing like that. And then there's ah, oh, I don't, I don't know how anybody types. It's not. I I wish I had my BlackBerry back. I so see. Was, I still see people doing that. I'm like, no, you've got to really get into it. Trust the trust that the iPhone will fix it for you. Just you have to have some trust. Well, I tried that once and it didn't get it right. Well, keep trying it. You're right, though. It was it was definitely an adjustment. Yeah. Uh, but I guess I'm wondering if that's potentially what Siri is. And people are going to say, oh, well, you know, the, what does that mean? I have to talk differently. Well, no. It's like if you do dictation with Dragon Dictate, you learn. I, I've never fully adopted that because I become self-conscious and I don't speak the way I would want to write. But, uh, but, you know, there's people like John Syracuse who wrote that and writes his entire freaking uh, OS X thing yeah. by speaking. Um, so anyway, I guess I'm just wondering that there are all kinds of things like this these soup Nazi kind of things where you learn that if you do it this one way, it's going to work out a lot better, right? Think about cooks. Think about cooking. Well, I wish I could just throw things in the oven and have it come out perfect. Well, you can't. You have to know what temperature and how long. Is that fancy? You know, I, that's, that's all I can figure with Siri. Um, you know, there, the problem with Siri, as, as I think you said, Marco, it's a, such a multifaceted challenge 
There's, there's so many yeah. pieces that even with my rudimentary guessing about how Siri works, you can tell there's lots of places that it can break or it can be a little slow. You know what I mean? And there's dependencies. It's never going to get to that third cloud thing until it passes through you know, these local things. I mean, there's obviously something, you know, this is a very old conversation, but it is magic when it works and it's, it's like, it's death when it doesn't. Right. And, and, there, and just like most computing things, there is a syntax to it. And, and if you, if you just learn a few sentence formations that it recognizes extremely reliably, uh, then it can be a lot more useful to you. Can you tell me the difference right now off the top of your head, the difference between remind and remember? I have no idea. Okay. How about you, Dan? Is remember a note? I don't know. Dan, the difference between remind and remember? Remind is the action of doing, of creating a reminder. And right. remembering, remembering is the act of placing something in your head so you remember mm. to do it. You know, Proust was a neuroscientist. I don't know if you're aware of that. Turns out. No, but I mean, it's funny. Uh, is this a I, test? I, I fit, is it? I frequently, <laughs> Colin, you are. I, I sometimes really do find myself <laughs> going in and hitting the little letter I to remember what I can say. There's so much in there. I went in and actually bookmarked a page with all the things you can say. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff where if you phrase it in this certain way, remind is not the same thing as remember. Um, now I'm forgetting the distinction. But, uh, you know, OmniFocus uh, can sync with your uh, iCloud's reminders. So you can just talk into your computer and it'll go into the inbox in OmniFocus, which is really quite powerful. So I, I did eventually kind of have to learn that difference and now I've forgotten it. But, um, but there, there are a lot of things like that where to get the full power out of it, you kind of need to do a tutorial. You need to do a little walkthrough. I, I think iOS and any kind of developer struggle with this. It drives me crazy when I open up an app and it, it makes me... There's a weather app I like that makes you watch a tutorial. And then at the end, I think it has a thing where like it has a really slow fade at the end where it's like, well, you watch that really quick. Are you sure you got everything? And, you know, which is like slapping beta on something. Like it's not going to... If the app is not self-evidently intuitive to use on some level there's no One number star of tutorials useless. that'll fix that yeah fail <laughs> when, when can we just get people to learn what part of the phone to talk into it, it, does that drive anyone else insane when i'm walking down the street <laughs> only you and i uh, when i see somebody who thinks they're on project runway walking around and they're doing that thing they've seen on tv they're either they're, they're holding up the cord in the air with their two fingers like pinching it and holding it in the air and then they're either talking into the ass of it like it's a piece of pizza or, or they're talking into the top of it even though the headphones are in. So they're still holding it as though they're talking into the headphone thing. But, but then they, they, they talk into it like it's, like it's a slice of Sicilian pizza. Mm-hmm. Not Chicago deep Is that, I was going to ask you, if, if that's, is that your pet peeve, Merlin, the biggest one is the slice of, slice of pizza style? Well, I mean, do we, if we have just a second to talk about it, I have a pretty good recipe uh, for Sicilian. Now, this is, here's the thing. A lot of people are going to tell you, oh, that's Chicago. They don't understand the difference. True Sicilian pizza starts with a Pillsbury crescent roll. <laughs> now, wait. Now, let it come to room temperature. This is how mama makes it. You roll it all the oh way out. Oh, my God. Okay, and then I want you to write this down. Ragu. You go out, and it's a kind of uh, tomato sauce called ragu, and you dip it. You dip it into that, and then you put a little bit of mozzarella cheese on it and some pineapple. And then you microwave that for 16 minutes. You're done. We're yeah, about to find th- out. If, if anybody doesn't know the difference between my voice and yours, we're about to find out who, how many people that is. No, I'm they so know. mad at they you. I'm so mad. Uh, and, then, uh, and then you have your choice of sauces. Uh, they're called in, uh, in Sicily, they call them dipping sauces. You got ranch. You got ranch. You got light ranch. Thousand <laughs> Island. 
I, I, Italian, uh, blue oh, cheese. And, and then garlic. You got garlic, right? Oh, you got ga- ga- garlic pepperoni cheese. That's really good. This so alone anyway, might make John Syracuse forbid us from using his feet again. Yeah. He's going to remove us from the stream. <laughs> that was good. Oh, I'm oh sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're at 144, Dan. Yeah, we should probably... All right, so uh, so these, fun to do these do two this twice a year. This is good. Do this, yeah, do this every every week, every six months. These guys uh, both have another show here on Five by Five independently. Uh, Marco does build and analyze uh, with me. We do that every Monday, and uh, Merlin Mann also on Monday. Two Monday Men does Back to Work. <laughs> both of those are available on Five by Five, and we'll put them into the show notes. We'd love it if you would tune in again. And speaking of the show notes, those can be found at 5x5.tv slash hypercritical slash 79. Uh, so if you want to follow along and look at look at the Fat Mac, you could do that. Right, and right. Uh, each of these guys also on Twitter, Marco Arment, A-R-M-E-N-T, one word, on Twitter. And uh, Hot Dogs Ladies is how Merlin goes on Twitter. Uh, most of his followers are just robots, though. Neat sorb. <laughs> and I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter. We appreciate everybody listening. Thanks for our sponsors. And uh, have a great one. Thanks, John. Yeah, thanks, John.